Welcome to the Pocha Podcast at the intersection of brown pride and assimilation. I'm Kat. I'm Charlene. And for if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And for our regulars... Welcome back. Yes, this is our Weedy Weedy, our monthly bonus content, and uh, where we just get to talk like comadres. So we're really excited to be here, and we're most excited because we have a special guest, and our special guest is author Sofia Segovia. Um, she's the author of Hurricane, and of course, Porta Podcast favorite book, Murmur of Bees, which we've talked about before on an episode, and she's here to talk a little bit about her new novel, which is Tears of Amber, um, the translated version of Peregrinos. And uh, we're just so excited that you're here with us, Sofia. I'm very excited to be here with you, too. Thank you so much for inviting me <laughs> to your space. We are incredibly grateful that you've taken the opportunity. And you're joining us from uh, Monterrey, is that correct? Monterrey, Mexico, yeah. Very far away, but not far away from the border. So I feel we're just a step away. We're like primas, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, you're in New Mexico and Nuevo León, New Lion, the, the, the exact translation. Mm -hmm. Well, they started off with, with the same history. So we share a lot. It's uh, uh, El Nuevo Reino de León used to uh, reach up to New Mexico. It oh. was a huge region. And so we share a lot. So we actually just that we don't remember very well. <laughs> we actually <laughs> could be related. Kind of a, a, a bit in the past, <laughs> and we don't remember anymore. But it is it, it is like that. So we do share things. Well, thank you again for joining us. We are um, incredibly um, excited and humbled that you have been with us or are with us. And um, let's just jump right in. I. I have a journalism degree, and we were both intrigued that you have a journalism degree, and you've even worked previously in political communications. So that's a huge shift going from journalism, political huge. communications, to doing novels. What, what, was, what was the move? What, what was the catalyst for that? Well, I think I was in the wrong. I, I, I just missed my mark. Hmm. I, uh, I, I am from Monterrey, and that uh, means a lot. It weighs a lot because I believe the cities where we are born tell us stories about ourselves. And Monterrey did not have any story to tell about art. Uh, the art creation in the city, uh, it just wasn't done when I was born or, or when I was growing up. There were no uh, bookstores or libraries or, or museums or whatever. And so what we did here was uh, industry. It's a very modern city, uh, very uh, pro uh, likes uh, progress and and ev everything like that. But there was no space for art because we did have a, a shared history with New Mexico, and we won't talk about that. I'll just leave the intrigue out there. But uh, it was a very hard uh, start for the city, and by 1965, when I was born, do the math. Um, well, uh, it was about to reach uh, equilibrium. And that means, as in all the cities in the world, there, are, there is no art when you are in survi survival mode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You only get to uh, investigate, to, to go into art or, or the sciences or whatever, when you're okay. Mm -hmm. And so this city started to be okay when I was born more or less, a bit before, 
but well, the thing is that uh, as as I grew up and this city evolved, it evolved into art. But when I wanted to to decide what made what to major in, I knew I loved to write, but I didn't know someone from my city could dream about mm. being being a novelist. Just didn't occur to me because I was from Monterrey at that time. And so I went into journalism and we have an expression here in Mexico. I don't know if you have something similar, but we say, if you don't like something, put flowers on it. (laughs) And I used to put flowers on everything. And my teachers, my professors would would go, no, 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 no. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. But none of them told me that's a a, a great characteristic for a novelist. Mm -hmm. Nobody told me. So I was 35 by the time that the world was about to end in the year 2000. I was <laughs> done with college. I was doing some, something else. And, uh, and I stopped a bit because I said, if it's going to end, and I didn't think it was really going to end, it's just that I, I, I got wise and stopped and listened to myself and realized that what really, re- really made me happy was my old little short stories I did when I was a child, when I was mm. growing up as a young woman still in college. And it had been a long time since I've written any short stories. And so I said, I'm going to do that again and find my own sense of happiness that has nothing to do with anybody else. And uh, it, no, I didn't find a short story. I found a novel in the year 2000. I wrote my first, I started writing my first novel and so I left uh, journalism behind, but it still serves me very well because I think the research uh, I do in my novels mm-hmm. is very journalistic. It's very, it, it, I, I do very precise research and I do not get bored. So I think that I will credit journalism to that because of that. That's so wonderful. And we're so excited that you left journalism to find this passion (laughs) because we are fans, as we've shared earlier. Um, We one thing I was curious about my my own abuelo was an amazing storyteller. It was one of my favorite things about him. And you've talked about channeling your own grandfather and his stories. So um, how do you think he would feel about your novels? I think if he lived today, he would understand. But if I had been old enough when he was still alive in the 1970s, uh, old enough to write the story, he wouldn't have understood because he uh, actually lived through this uh, survival mode mm-hmm. where you have to, you cannot waste your time doing that. Oh, his anecdotes, where they, they were just anecdotes, right? They, 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 they didn't serve any purpose. Mm-hmm. I don't think he really grasped how uh, important it was to tell the story. And I think that's why he only told the good stuff. He left out the bad stuff because uh, uh, he made us laugh, or he still makes us laugh through my father. He keeps on saying the same, the same anecdotes, but he never made us cry. Hmm. And where is the real and the complete story of the family or of the town or whatever? Mm-hmm. I think it's in those big, big, huge silences. And so I think he would be kind of uh, uh, mortified 
to to realize that uh, we're talking about that now. Mm-hmm. We stopped being this uh, uh, amnesiacs. We decided to become, right? And so in that sense, Francisco is also uh, channeled to this uh, selective amnesia. Uh, and it's not only my grandfather's, but the whole cities, mm-hmm. uh, Monterrey, the whole country. Well, we're champions at forgetting because what is painful we forget and so i think right now maybe maybe if my grandfather lived today he would read it and he would understand himself better Hmm. he would he would understand those silences those really really broad silences he left for us and it's our inheritance the silence and so i want to break with many things as when writing uh, the murmur of bees and silence was silence was one of those things and i hope right now where he is he's proud and he uh, is uh, glad that finally those silences are extinguished well when you're talking about those silences and you're you're talking about evoking some emotion sometimes it's sadness right in silences um, all of that all of that is very, um, it's magic. And we've talked before about the murmur of bees and how we have gotten lost in your words, in your story, in your magic. And um, your new book is just as magical. So Tears of Amber is coming out just tomorrow. It's right around the corner. And it, this was originally pu- published in Spanish as Peregrinos. Can you tell us a little bit about it? We don't want to give it all away, but can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, you know, it's also uh, dealing with silence, this Mm -hmm. story about uh, peregrinos. It's uh, a story that one feels that, uh, for example, the murmur of bees, the most told story in Mexico is is the the one of the revolution, right? Mm -hmm. And you can say, oh, what else can you say about it? Well, there's a lot to say because there are missing pieces. And pieces that got swept under under the rug because they're painful, and um, the, the the winners of the of this story, this narrative, don't want those uh, pieces, those uh, uh, pieces of the puzzle to be to be found. I'm sorry, but the same happens with World War II. And what I what I realized was that there were huge missing pieces in that narrative too. Hmm. And one of those pieces lives here in Monterrey. And I, I, I found it through a, a very, very close friend. That's her family's uh, story that uh, inspired this story. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, I, what I found was another piece of a huge, important puzzle swept under the rug that I wanted to talk about. And I think it's important to, to talk about this story of World War II. It doesn't happen, mostly it doesn't happen in Mexico, but it is a Mexican story. Mm-hmm. And it might also tell a, a, a story in the United States or in Argentina or whatever, because wherever peregrinos go, they transform the land they uh, uh, take root in, the new land that receives them, right? And so this is a story about a pilgrimage for life and for peace uh, to find a new land. And it, it is a story that completes the story we think we know so well about World War II. 
because it tells uh, it, it's told from the viewpoint of the Germans, mm -hmm. and it's not uh, trying to uh, erase or deny or or uh, take the importance away uh, from the Holocaust. It's just uh, a different truth. Mm -hmm. It's true, the Holocaust is true, but this is also true. And if you take away one of these truths, you cannot really understand, really completely understand the, the truth of the Holocaust enough for it to not happen again. And mm -hmm. what I found in this story I'm telling through the eyes of two, the three kids, right? Uh, uh, trying to survive with their families. What I'm trying to do is tell this truth and complete the whole story. And what I found is that um, in the world, we, we are mostly good people. And pilgrimage, exodus, uh, um, mass, mass migration only happen when there's pain. War or famine, that's pain. Nobody wants to leave their, their roots. Nobody wants to cut them uh, uh, completely. We live because life is not possible anymore. Mm -hmm. And so this is, a, 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 I think it's a very endearing story. I found it very endearing. I found it very moving and inspiring. But also, I found that it was very important to understand this moment in history, to understand, uh, in order to understand our presence. Because, you know, the story of pilgrimage, of exodus or migration is the oldest in the in the human narrative mm -hmm. the oldest and the most present and the most future and we are uh, never going to stop it unless we we deal with whatever makes it happen which is war or famine mm -hmm. so uh, i think we have to deal with it and to what at the end i found out is that oh Hashtag, we are all peregrinos. <laughs> pilgrims. Really, I don't think there's a human being alive today that is not alive today thanks to a very, very daring voyage. Somebody in their past or maybe in their near, near future uh, took in order for life to be possible. And so this is the story. It's not about uh, soldiers or, or battles or whatever. It's about the human condition and the human existence during a, a tumultuous war, like World War II. And it belongs to all of us. It, it's called wor World War II. It belongs to all of us. So we have, everybody has something to say about it. And certainly Monterrey has something to say about it. I do. I'm friends with this family, this two, two of those kids. I know them very well. And uh, they're Mexican. Their grandchildren are Mexican now. Their mm -hmm. kids became Mexican and uh, they stayed here. Their roots are deep and uh, we're the better for it. For it. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about um, Tears of Amber and the setting. I, I You make so many good points, Kat. Um, and I live here in southern New Mexico, which is on the border. Um, there's a lot of, of things happening right now with immigration. Mm -hmm. That that pilgrimage is not over. 
um, around the world. It's not over. So the historical context is one thing, but your characters most certainly bring to life the the humanity of it. Um, these are just people. Um, I particularly love that your characters are children, um, that we're seeing this through the eyes of children because that is, that's a new way to look at the world. Um, that we, the, you know, m me being a, more of Yaha every day, I certainly uh, see my own daughter and think to see the world through her eyes is a beautiful thing. And I, um, this is very, it reminds us to do that the way you tell your stories um so in murmur of bees and tears of amber your characters are so complex they're just um i feel like i know them i feel like it's the neighbor kid uh you know or or my little primo or something so what is your inspiration how do you develop such complex and beautiful characters well i think it starts out by knowing that i'm a reader and as readers, that's, that's the experience we, we seek, right? To, to leave our bodies behind and go live another life. It might sound like a, a cliche, but it, it is true. Mm -hmm. It's the only magic available to us. I mean, there's no, no, not a scientific uh, invention or, or any uh, magic really that uh, can give you that, except books. And so I'm a very, very accomplished um, traveler. I do travel uh, through my reading and I seek that uh, uh, transformation, mm -hmm. that leaving myself behind, my sense of self and becoming an old lady or an old man or a, a, a young man or whatever it is I'm going to, to find in a book. And so as an author, I can do no less. It, the, the exercise has to be even more intense. And I don't want to just take a look at the characters. I, I um, what I do is try to get not in their shoes, but in their skin mm. and in their minds and in their feelings and in their senses. And I think that's why they, they come to life. They do for me because I can smell what they're smelling and sense what, what they're sensing and, and, and know how they feel and know how they think. But I don't know beforehand. Mm. They, they, they take me through the paces, right? And I think that's a great discovery. I'm not an author that uh, do, does these schemes or graphs or charts or whatever. I go into a page and see, let's see what I find. I just know where I want to go. In the murmur of bees, it was an old man getting to uh, reaching Linares at the end of the road. In in uh, uh, Tears of Amber, it was I want to show Mexico in this story, even though Mexico is not in the whole story. In the last line, it is right there, very subtle. But I wanted to do that, and uh, uh, whatever else I, I I just found in the way, and I let myself do that. I feel very free to uh, go in to each of the characters, even if they're uncomfortable, because there were some, there are some that are very uncomfortable, mm. but I have to be fair. And I do believe this is, this is also very true. I do believe that even if they're, the, these characters, some of the characters are, are secondary, they're, they're not protagonists in this story, 
they are protagonists in some other story. Mm. And I have to be fair and respect that, right? I just, okay, in, in this story, The Murmur of Bees, if you're uh, uh, Martin, you're not the main character. You, you just pass by, but I know that you're a protagonist of your own story. And I think that's also worked very well for me because mm. even even I I even feel the, the characters that are just uh, tra transient or, or passerby and uh, I, I love them and I do think that shows. I love that you um, you described yourself as a world traveler through books. So growing Absolutely. up, um, our family didn't have a lot, but one thing that my parents did make sure we had was books. And our basement looked like a mini library. And I know that we were, that's an incredible privilege to be able to have access to books. And I'm pretty sure that my parents like went to library book sales where things were like a dollar because we had things in German, in Russian, in Japanese, things that we couldn't read, but we had them. Um, so I totally, that resonates with me so much being able to be a, tra a world traveler through books. I am, that's how I got started being an avid reader was because we had so many books in the basement. Um, for not just The Murmur of Bees, but Tears of Amber, you've been working with the translator, Simon Bruni. And I was astonished to find that he's not native Mexican. He's like, how did you find him? How did you find that this is, this is the guy that you think that can capture the spirit and the soul of your of your writing well i i am very lucky <laughs> to have found him he he found me actually he wrote me to he wrote to me one one day i received an email and he said you know i'm uh, simon bruni i uh translated paul penn's uh the light of the fireflies i don't know if you're hmm. um uh, know that book and I had read that book and didn't realize in my Kindle, and I didn't realize it was the translation. Mm. And I said, and I do, uh, since I speak English and Spanish really well, you can detect if there's translation, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's it's there somehow. Mm -hmm. And I I I didn't realize when I was reading the light of the fireflies that it was and i said oh this is a good translator that's what translators are supposed to be doing mm -hmm. and so we started talking and yeah you know he's he's from the he's uh, english he learned spanish in spain mm. he translates spanish from mexico and into english from the united states so I think sometimes we're dancing a square dance. <laughs> it's <laughs> we go through all the motions, and he's amazing. He really, I, I love that he. Uh, he's not just a translator; he's an artist. I do Absolutely. believe that. And uh, translation is an art when you're translating not word for word, but feel feeling for feeling, and the sense of humor, and the sense of. Uh, dread or whatever and he gets it he gets it even though he, we have to do the, the the square dance uh he gets it because he's an artist and i think he he works well uh he's uh, very sensitive mm. he he's a very sensitive uh uh translator which i think might be very rare because translator maybe think it's 
might go into the technical stuff. Mm. He can do everything. So so um, it's been amazing, amazing to to be a witness to his to his work. I, I appreciate so much that a lot of times the translators don't get credit. It feels like they are, as you were alluding to, input, output, right? What are you giving me? What am I going to put back from one language to the next? But he certainly captures the magic. Um, and Kat and I, Somos Portas, we say our Spanish, we're always working on it. We're always trying. Um, we've challenged ourselves to at least listen to uh, murmur of bees in Spanish and maybe tears of amber, maybe peregrinos, mm-hmm. um, something we're challenging ourselves to. And, uh, so on that note, you are joining the Pocha podcast, which we're so grateful for. And we were curious, uh, being from Monterrey, have you heard the term Pocha and what does that mean for you? Of course, I've heard the term pocha, <laughs> and and uh, people in Mexico call call us in Monterrey pochos. How Interesting. wide is the border? <laughs> yes, and the exactly. The border goes both ways, right? And uh, I think that we are living right now in a in a very very um, how do you say a very special time. Before we people living in older times couldn't be day-to-day witnesses of the transformation of a living language, right? Mm-hmm. But now we can because we we have this instant contact. We, mm-hmm. we turn on the TV, everything there is in this language, that language, whatever. And what I've uh, realized is that that's what living languages do they transform and yeah we do in spanish have this royal academy of the language la real academia española right and it's okay there are rules and whatever but it also adapts what to what is going on in every spanish speaking country except that for example what i see in the united states that is happening is something much more interesting because every spanish speaking country is in the United States too. Yeah. And every one of them brings something to the table, right? And so at the end, what you have this is this, uh, what, a goulash or something of everything, right? And so what I, we are witnessing right now, I think is the birth of the Spanish identity in the States mm. and it's happening. And I think it's very interesting and I do think it's very important to have both very strong languages, of course. But you also have to give way to the new U.S. Spanish. What is it? And will it come together? That's the true melting pot. That's the true melting pot, I think, in the States. What's going to happen to Spanish? Mm-hmm. And it's going on. And, and I think it's amazing. and. Uh, I think it's uh, like amazing to watch too, right? So you bring up two things that um, are crossing paths in my brain. So one is the time frame that we're living in now. And then the other piece is the emotions that you have put into your writing to make it so magic. So currently we're living in, um, among other things, among your goulash, uh, we're living through COVID-19, but you have written about the Spanish flu, 
Um, yeah. Does that seem surreal to you that you're living through something that you that kind of converges with what you've written about? Well, you know, it's something amazing that I've been uh, I've recently recently realized that every one of my novels has something of the sort in Huracan. Uh, all this machismo and uh, the uh, violence against women and mm -hmm, everything mm -hmm. that we are talking about now, I, I talked about in the year 2000 when I started writing that novel. In the Spanish, uh, they were in the Murmur of Bees, the Spanish flu. Uh, yes, it was, it is very, very surreal to, to know everything that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I do not have the, the gift of sight, but I think that uh, someone who studies history can watch for, for, for patterns or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I went back and just talked about what was back then, what was human. I, I didn't talk about the historical facts very much, or I just talked about the human attitudes and the human uh, uh reactions or uh, fears or affections or whatever happens during a turbulent time and uh what i realized today is that we might find medicine for many things but nothing can cure us from our humanity mm, never true. and we are all the same and we always think we are modern people I mean, in every point in history, what I found in this research is that I, they thought they knew everything. Every <laughs> time something like this happens, somebody is arrogant, right? And the thing is that I did write Dr. Cantu, and I always write doctors too in my stories. I, I maybe know why, but I always <laughs> write doctors in my stories. And uh, in Dr. Cantu, he he makes this this and I, I don't have such a great uh, memory, but uh, he goes and I'm paraphrasing. He says, um, "If those arrogant fools in the government uh, would have listened to the experts in time, nothing like this would have happened, or something like that." Mm. I forget. I'm a better writer than I speak. <laughs> And much better speaker than a rememberer. It's a new word in English, yeah, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but well, uh, uh, what I think is that that just that sentence is so true. Any time in history of humankind, and especially true for governments all over the world, it's universal. And so that's what I think that this time has given me so much, like exasperation, desperation, mm -hmm. uh, just like, no, here we go again. Because we were able to, to, to sort things out in 2009 with, with the uh, influenza scare, remember the mm -hmm. influenza epidemic? But we let ourselves be organized. But this time around, and I thought then, oh, so the influenza will never happen again. I mean, that mm -hmm. epidemic won't happen again because we are uh, connected instantly to the world. Uh, we are connected through the World Health Organization, whatever. And so, uh, no, it can never happen again. And it did because we went back to 
arrogant, uh, arrogant governments that didn't listen to history or to science or to the experts or whomever. And so we're, yeah, we're stuck. And so it's been kind of like, kind of an ego booster, maybe, that I, <laughs> I say, yeah, I knew that, I knew that, I know that. I know what's going to happen next, but at the same time, oh, come on, right. do the right thing, right? Let, uh, why did we have to get so deep into things? It's because, well, uh, for uh, you're you're out of that, and you, you have a, a, a more proactive government now. We're still stuck <laughs> with a, a president who won't wear, wear masks. But mm -hmm. uh, if I knew since January two thousand twenty what was going to happen, and I was buying masks, why didn't our presidents? So it's kind of like oh, it makes me mad. Yeah, absolutely. frustrating. Absolutely. Yeah, and with this, this Tears of Amber also, well, uh, actually, with what happens to to the Prussian uh, or the German population, well, when I was writing it, we could also see what was happening all over the world, in the States, in Mexico, in Brazil, in many of these countries who th that were uh, having elections at the time. And I, I could see the little formula. Yeah, the Nazi formula. Mm -hmm. They were applying it really well. And what happened then, and I was like, no, here we go again, except different people, was that there was this candidate that came down the, the electric um, stair, stairs and said that, um, well, that some Mexicans were this and that and that. And I said, oh, so he's making us now the, the common enemy. Mm -hmm. That's right. The 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 scary uh, people, the whatever we're to blame for everything, and that's what Hitler did. It's a formula, so uh, that's why I do say that it's important to look back into history, and be aware of the present. Mm -hmm. And actually, that brings something uh, up because you said in a previous interview a few years ago, um, "olvidar es peligroso," forgetting is dangerous. So yes. do you feel that much more deeply now, given what we're going through currently? Absolutely. I know it's true. It's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. It's very dangerous. And we go here in Mexico, we're experts at forgetting, right? And, uh, and we go through that every three years for elections or six years for, for the federal elections or whatever. And not to say about other things, but uh, we do get stuck in, in this amnesia. They tell us a new story. And when you don't know who you are, and, and John Steinbeck uh, has this, this, this spirit, the same spirit in Grapes of Wrath. Uh, he says something, and I paraphrase. If we don't, if we don't know where we're coming, coming from, how do we know this is us? Something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think he says it very much more beautiful, beautiful, but it resonates with me because uh, it's absolutely true and it happens to anyone. And we should not let history just be uh, just a, a, another uh, class in middle school or high school. We should try to teach it some other way because that's where our future is. Looking back, 
that's really where our future lies. Mm -hmm. Because we, if we don't know who we are today, how can we plan, plan uh, the future? No, somebody else will plan it for us. So, yeah, I think it's important. Is this giving that's you fodder for a new book? <laughs> I'm still <laughs> father. I'm still full of father. I'm still doing the same thing, looking for these forgotten uh, stories because forgotten because uh, they're uncomfortable. Mm. They don't match with the heroic story a country wants to say about itself or whatever. And I'm writing now a, a, another story, and I, I'm saying, oh, you are going to do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's difficult and it needs some some uh, really <laughs> I, I need to be brave to do that because sometimes going against the current, uh, it might be difficult or, or it might uh, strike other people as uh, uh, reactive or I don't know. But I, um, I don't know. I, I think I, I am like that. I am uh, Contreras. I like to be country. And, and that's what happens when you give a country person a, a pen. <laughs> that's or a keyboard. I love it. I love it. Um, thank you so much for being with us. I, uh, I appreciate your bravery and your being a contrarian because it has certainly hit us in in the heart in the soul um your characters are beautiful and certainly reframes what a hero is mm -hmm. for us um sometimes it's a child and that recognition uh in in your writing is just so beautiful and i think your grandfather would be proud of the books that you agreed that you write i hope so i hope so so he would laugh. He would laugh too because there's some laughter there, and and I think I I did uh, remember his sense of humor when I wrote him. I think it comes through most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tears of Amber is available on Audible for those who want to listen. Um, Audible also has the OG Spanish version Peregrinos that's available, and if you want to hold a book in your hot little hands like like we did, um, because it's. Uh, I'm one of those page turners. I love to read actual books mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. Yes. So if you want to hold a book in your hot little hands and curl up old school style on your couch with a covija and read it, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And if you want to support a local smaller bookstore, you can purchase it on bookshop.org. And if you have uh, opportunities, Sophia, you are going to be doing a virtual online book tour, which is super awesome. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be posting yeah. a link for people to be able to um, creep or follow you everywhere you go online <laughs> for every book stuff that you have. And there's, uh, there's also chances to win the book during your book tour. So thank you so much for joining us. Any last words of advice for these pochas living in a borderland area? Well, I think that uh, you're doing a great thing. You're finding a, your own voice. And I do think that our uh, Hispanic community in the States needs to find much more uh, of a, boy, uh, a voice. And so I'm very, very proud to be here, very glad. I'm very happy to see that you're doing this and you're uh, letting other people in uh, because I do think it's important to tell our own stories. 
because if we don't tell our own stories, somebody else is going to do it for us and badly. So <laughs> we're not going to like that. So, so thank you. Thank you for opening this, uh, opening this space for, for the, for the Hispanic community, the pochos y pochas. Uh, and I hope, yeah, I hope, uh, your community grows and thank you you are so spot on about someone else writing our stories for us and we also yes. talked about that book too um and our disappointment oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much again for joining us we really appreciate it and um we look forward to the new book that you're writing and having you back on when you have that out yeah i hope sometime we can just get rid of this uh covid19 thing and maybe 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 start traveling again not yes. virtually, but <laughs> truly, and meet. I hope so. Well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Have a wonderful thank rest you. of your day. Thank you. This has been the Pocha Podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm Kat. I'm Charlene. And we will catch you on the flip side.